What is up, kangaroo chasers? On this one, we are talking all about arguably the most successful expansion club in rugby league history. That's right, the Melbourne Storm. Let's hit it. I'm Michael Carboni. This is episode 88 of the Chasing Kangaroos podcast. You're listening to Chasing Kangaroos, the rugby league podcast for fans who are passionate about seeing the game played in more places. Well, guys, I'm flying solo for these golden points. It's a long weekend. I hope you've been enjoying the NRL semi-finals or the prelim finals. Um, it's been pretty cool. Uh, Big T and I so far doing well with the tips. We had, um, if you remember last week, we had a Panthers Storm Grand Final, and that's looking more and more likely, especially after the weekend. But it's been fantastic. Good to watch. Good to kick back on the long weekend. Enjoy some footy and looking forward to the rest as well. But as always, we're here to talk about what else is going on around the world of rugby league uh, and, yeah, with our golden points. Um, don't worry, Big T fans, he's not here with me right now, but most of this episode you're going to hear his lovely voice, the golden tonsils of rugby league podcasting, Big T, um, when he sits down with Paul Kennedy. Now, Paul Kennedy, I didn't know who he was before this interview, and shame on me because he's pretty um, pretty well known, I think. He's an Australian journalist, he's a TV presenter, most well known for his role as a sports reporter for ABC News Breakfast. Um, he's an author. And he's a former VFL Australian Rules footballer, so he's probably in 88 episodes of Chasing Kangaroos. I reckon he's the only uh, Aussie Rules AFL player or Aussie Rules footballer that we've had on the show. But his knowledge of sport in general is quite wide. He loves his rugby league, loves his rugby union, obviously loves his AFL, uh, but you know from Melbourne as well. So he's got a good understanding of the landscape down there. And with Big T, he's able to talk about sort of the story from inception of, of the storm to now and what's been successful and what hasn't and all that sort of thing. Really good interview. Um, so if you love listening to Big T interviews, you're going to absolutely love this one. It's probably my favorite. But before we get to, to Big T's chat with Paul Kennedy, let's go through some golden points. So let's go around the world. So let's start with Golden Point New Zealand and the National Premiership and National Women's Premierships. They're running side by side. And you can catch them on Sky Sports if you're living in New Zealand at the moment. I wish I could see more of this because it's exciting stuff. Round one kicked off over the weekend. In the women's, the county's Manukau Stingrays, 66 defeated Canterbury nil. Massive shellacking, uh, which puts them on top of the table. And uh, the Akarana Falcons, 48 to 8 over mid-central um, New Zealand. In the men's, county's Manukau also successful over Canterbury Bulls, 42 to 18. And the six-time champions, Akarana Falcons, they defeated Waikato 70 points to six. So some huge wins there, some huge victories. Loving this competition. It's basically their, their, I guess, their counties of origin, so to speak. So a lot of the best from a few of their domestic leagues over there coming together for this four-week competition towards the end of the year over in New Zealand. It's pretty cool to see some good talent there as well. Uh, so if you're on the socials, check out uh, the New Zealand Rugby League uh, Facebook page in particular, because there's some good highlights there, some good articles as well. So I, I suggest you follow that if you're not in New Zealand watching it on Sky Sports. Just another one of these competitions that we should have on Fox Sports here in Australia, just like PNG, Digicel Cup, and uh, listen in to Matty Church, if you haven't already, for his, his five to ten minutes um, before this one. 
Uh, guys, golden point over to Serbia. So Red Star Belgrade's incredible Serbian Rugby League re- winning streak came to an end last weekend uh, with an Eternal Cup derby loss against the ever-improving and the very impressive Partizan, Partizan Belgrade. Uh, so Partizan took it out 38 points to 20. They were clinical. like they were, they were way too good. I've seen parts of this as well. That one was is streamable still on Red Star Belgrade's Facebook page if you want to watch that and haven't already. Partisan, Big T and I have been saying it. Every time they take on Red Star, they get that little bit better and they've they've improved this year. They've got some good signings, including the Serbian captain, absolute beast. Check him out. But they keep, keep getting better. Big T and I have been saying that they're not far off defeating Red Star, ending this winning streak. And here it is over the weekend. And Big T very happy about that. That's for sure. Uh, Golden Point, Samoa. So the Appia Barracudas are the 2020 Rugby League Samoa Premier League champions after defeating the Latava Bulldogs 24 points to 8 at ACP Mara Stadium in Latupa last Saturday. Big victory for Appia for the Barracudas. But that's not the end of the Samoan domestic season, which will conclude with an island of origin. I absolutely love this. It's a best of three series, which will be between the Apollo Maroons and the Savai Blues, so the Maroons and the Blues, of course, it's State of Origin, right? Island of Origin. And the series will run parallel to Australia's State of Origin series as well. So matches will take place on November 4, 11 and 18. I believe they'll be in at ACP Mara Stadium as well. Great to see. We've seen like Fijian Origin. We're now seeing Samoan Origin as well. I think in Samoa, they've got like a high school origin happening as well for the first time this year. Uh, good to see. So just give some more opportunities for these domestic players to play a higher standard. And maybe get noticed, you know, we might see more of these guys filter through the pathways of the NRL and even the Super League as well in the years to come. So I think this is the start of some really special stuff and hopefully we can get some clips or some footage of that as well. So watch out on our socials and we'll see what we can do and bring as much as we can for you guys. Over to the other side of the world now. So Golden Point Euro 13s. Well, we've been speaking about it the last couple of weeks, how quiet. Their socials have been after making a lot of noise early on uh, when they were announcing teams and so on and so forth. But they've been unusually quiet over at Euro 13s on the socials. They came out with a press release a couple of days ago. And that press release stated that due to COVID-19 disruptions, the 16 clubs had voted to postpone the inaugural season. So it was meant to start in early 2021. Uh, Instead, now the tournament is set for either September 2021 or February 2022. So they'll make that decision later on, probably early next year now. But in a positive move, the clubs have voted to change the competition format. So originally a knockout. So Euro 13 Season 1 will now be a group stage tournament split into groups of four. So it means each club will get a minimum number of three games. So I think that's really positive because you wouldn't want to see, there would have been a few clubs knocked out after one game. That's not what this is all about. They're talking about developing rugby league in Europe. So you want to see them get more games, as many as possible. I think it's positive. Good to hear they're making some noise again. I, for one, was very worried that this was something that was going to disappear and we're never going to hear about again. To their credit, the clubs are voting in favour of keeping things going but postponing things a little. And everyone I speak to in Europe is telling me how difficult things are COVID-wise over there at the moment and how shit it has become again now that they're starting to move into the colder seasons. So uh, good luck to any listeners out there. Like, please stay safe. Uh, we've got a lot of listeners in the UK and across Europe. Please stay safe over there. It's a little bit weird because over here in Oz, it's getting hotter again. And we're seeing, I think it's been nine or 10 days without a case in uh, New South Wales. So 
we see things going very well over here and we need to remember our, our friends over in Europe and other parts of the world doing it tough. So good luck to all of you guys. Uh, back closer to home, so Golden Point Vanuatu and the, the annual Vanuatu Nines is set to return, kicking off this November 28 over a two-day period at Corman Stadium. So this event is pretty cool. It's going to feature men's, women's, under-15s and potentially an under-10s competition as well. Uh, so far, the tournament has 12 teams signed up, so it'll be six men's, three women's, three under-15s. That will grow between now and November. It's good to see it happening again. It's great to, to hear more and more about rugby league in Vanuatu. They are a minor nation. They are a smaller nation, especially not only in international rugby league, but in the Pacific where there's so many strong rugby league nations now. Vanuatu are growing, and it seems since the Pacific Trez side were announced, Vanuatu have really taken it under their wing, and they're growing stronger and stronger, and they really want to be a big part of that. If you don't know what Pacific Trez is, go back to episode 62. Chasing Kangaroos called Pacific 13, or Pacific 13, I should say. Uh, so check that out. Learn all about that. It's really exciting stuff. A golden point over to Brazil. And uh, Jake Tonito has been announced as the men's head coach. Uh, this guy's got elite player pathways, coaching experience with the Penrith Panthers and the West Tigers as well. So he knows what he's doing and he's in charge of the men, Brazilian men, which is uh, good stuff. Also, what's been announced is a test match against Turkey next February which I believe is going to be in Brisbane. I'm not sure yet. Uh, waiting to hear those details. So Rob Bergen, if you're listening, let us know. But uh, Brazil versus Turkey, I love this because we're so used to seeing the South American nations play each other. Brazil played Peru earlier this year. They've played Chile a number of times, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but to see Brazil versus Turkey, these are two of my favorite emerging nations. I love hearing from, speaking to, and learning more about both of these rugby league nations. So Brazil versus Turkey, wherever it is, I think it's going to be really exciting. What I'm loving about Brazil as well, speaking to Rob and some of the guys around there, they were kind of concerned about the idea of having, let me take a step back, sorry, right? So we've seen a lot of emerging rugby league nations that sort of were born in and based more around, you know, Sydney or Brisbane. And they most of their players are heritage players. They don't do a lot domestically. And I'm not pointing the finger at anyone, but in the last like couple of decades, we've seen a fair bit of this where a lot of emerging nations rugby league you know, is more based in Sydney or Brisbane than it is the nation that's actually meant to be emerging. But Brazil are doing this really well. Uh, the guys that are based in Australia, they are pretty much supporting the guys based domestically in Brazil more than sort of taking over or leading the way. They're pretty much supporting the guys over in Brazil. The original idea or the standing arrangement was that there would not be two consecutive Brazilian games played in Australia with the heritage players. And I mentioned already that they played their last test in Sydney against Peru. But Brazil's been hit pretty hard by COVID. So domestically, there hasn't been anything going on at all in any sport, really. Been pretty tough over there. So the guys domestically in Brazil have asked the guys over here in Australia to set up a game so that they can fulfill criteria to remain an affiliate International Rugby League member. I think that's pretty huge. And so, so the Aussies are setting it up. They are going to try and get some of the Brazilian players, domestic Brazilian players over here for that fixture, if possible. It really depends on regulations around international travel in February, which it's hard to say at the moment how things are going to look by then. But I just want to take my hat off to Brazil, and I've probably rambled on a little bit about it, but take my hat off to the guys at Brazil for really doing this right and growing rugby league properly. Look, I love seeing the heritage players over here doing the best that they can but I think there's a time when the heritage players need to say you know what our purpose is to assist the game domestically in the country that we're representing 
And the moment that we sort of hinder that process, then that's when we need to sort of step aside. And I think Brazil seem to be learning from some mistakes in the past and they're doing it the right way. And I encourage others to, to sort of look at that as an example of what you should be doing when you're trying to grow uh, a rugby league nation. Two more golden points, guys. So this one, uh, shout out to Alex Halos, who um, DM'd me via Twitter last week. And I absolutely love this. I love, I get, I get some cool DMs, but this one was right up there. So I'm turning it into a golden point. I'll read it out. And uh, Alex is from the Lane Cove Tigers uh, rugby league team in North Sydney. He said, hi, Chasing Kangaroos. I have a golden point for you from Japan via North Sydney. He said, the Lane Cove Tigers under nines had played their grand final against Willoughby last weekend, trailing by four with 20 seconds on the clock. They scored to tie it up. Up stepped young Sola Kashida from Japan, who's only been in the country for five months to take the kick for the premiership. He nailed it, winning for his team 38 points to 36. Absolutely fantastic. Really cool to see. I asked Alex, how did this kid discover rugby league if he's only been in Australia for five months? And um, he told me that his parents didn't actually know that there were two codes of rugby. So when they signed him up, they thought he was playing union, but very happy that he's playing league. And obviously the kid's doing really well. So I guess it's proof that sometimes union is a great advertisement for rugby league. So I reckon that's awesome. And good luck to the Lane Cove Tigers next season and, and little Solar. Good luck, buddy. Keep playing rugby league. And, you know, maybe one day we'll see him playing for Japan in a World Cup. Who knows? Uh, and, guys, final golden point for the night. And speaking of union, actually, this one is uh, from Canada, Golden Point Canada. It's our friend Quinn Nawadi, who just signed up to play for Rugby United New York. What can I say about this one? We had him on episode 65, Welcome Back Nawadi, when he came back to the Toronto Wolfpack. Long-time listeners will recall episode one, Quinn Nawadi was like our first golden point pretty much before we even called them golden points. And it was about him leaving the Wolfpack to play rugby. And um, it spawned our sign-off, which I won't repeat, but a lot of our fans kind of miss it. And I'm not going to start using it again just because he's going back to rugby. But basically in episode 65, Quinn joined me on the show. We had a great chat and I love Quinn. He's an awesome, awesome fella. And uh, he told me about why he sort of left in the first place and how excited he was to be back in rugby league and at the Toronto Wolfpack. Well, we all know what happened uh, with Toronto and we're still waiting to find out what's happening next. So I can't begrudge Quinn of taking an opportunity um, with, with Rugby United New York. I, I'm not sure what else the guy's meant to do. And I've had a number of DMs this week, people saying, oh, so you're going to bring back, you know, the old sign-off. I'm not going to because I know Quinn's an awesome bloke I love him, and I reached out to him this week, and I said, mate, hopefully you get a shot at Toronto again or maybe even the Ottawa Aces next year. And, uh, look, I don't know if that's going to happen, but I wish Quinn all the best, and um, hopefully uh, he gets some stability because he's had to bounce around a fair bit over the last couple of years. The guy's got a lot of talent. I'd love to see him in rugby league again soon. He's still only 21, 22. Uh, I hope he comes back. I want to see him play in rugby league. But until then, uh, good luck, Quinn. So, guys, that's it for Golden Points, and that's it from me. Over to Big T with his awesome chat about the Melbourne Storm with Paul Kennedy. I'll see you guys next week for what will be the final episode of Season 2 of the Chasing Kangaroos podcast. But until then, over to you, Big T. Well, I mean, you'd believe Thanks, it. Thanks, Cub. Sitting patiently on the phone with me today is a mad sports lover. Uh, he was an aspiring AFL player before to do an moving into the world of media. 
Thank you. Because a copy boy, the Herald, also, and Whitney Times in 1994, he was a news reporter at from 10 anywhere in the world that is incredible. Settling at the ABC just as its breakfast show was launched, and then he has what been with the show since 2008, reporting on every aspect of sport across the globe. He subsequently has written a number of books ranging from the Waterhouses, the tragic deaths of 15 young boys at the Mornington football team. To the greed, betrayal and success of the Melbourne Storm, Paul Kennedy, welcome to Chasing Kangaroos. Thank you, Big T. Now, sir, I have to start by telling you that my, one of my super best friends, uh, he and I went to uni- we lived together when we were doing university, and uh, he yeah. and I spent every morning watching ABC News Breakfast, and we, we had the veneer of watching the news, but essentially both sports fans, <laughs> we, we were both ended up being more excited when uh, you came on, which sounds, it makes us sound like huge uh, fans because we are. And so the moment I said that I was talking to you via text message, he squealed in real life and um, is, is just so excited that I'm talking to you. So well, how well, on that's, earth... That's good. And, uh, and I like that being on the public record yeah. because <laughs> I, thousands of people over the years have told me that they, um, that they love watching News Breakfast, but they couldn't care less about sports. So no. I to get one back. <laughs> I find that hard to believe. I was going to ask, does that happen often? Do people often recognise you as the sports breakfast guy? Uh, yeah, as our audience uh, has grown over the years, here more and more. So uh, we started out that on our show, we started on digital TV when digital TV wasn't a thing. So um, we had, oh, I don't know, maybe, dare I say it, maybe dozens of people watching those first episodes. But um, our audience has grown uh, a lot in, in the last few years. And yeah, I, I get recognised a bit more and more, which is nice um, because most of our viewers are really nice. <laughs> it's always good to have a Good to have a chat and, uh, you know, they hit me up about talking about sport, which I always love to do. So you had an AFL childhood, um, which I think I should, you know, admit at the beginning of a yes. rugby league podcast. So how did you end up in the wonderful world of rugby league then? Well, I've always liked rugby league because my dad grew up um, not far from Belmore Oval. Ah. So so my dad met my mum when they are in the Navy and dad was dad, the Sydney boy, and mum's a Melbourne girl. And we ended up settling in the outer suburbs of Melbourne, down where mum grew up. But um, dad was always, um, you know, just always a Sydney boy, still is, at heart. And um, we used to go back to Sydney and visit our family. I've got lots of cousins in Sydney. Mm. And uh, oh, when we went up there, dad just lit up like a, uh, like a light bulb <laughs> being back in Sydney. And he would take us uh, around his, his old patch. And I've got a great memory of going to watch a game of uh, rugby league. Uh, Canterbury was playing someone at Belmore. My brother and I were there, and Dad told us that it was a tradition to jump over the fence and grab the corner post. Mm-hmm. Back when they were um, uh, yeah, black yeah. and white and uh, made of cardboard. And, uh, yeah, so we did at the end of the game, and I beat all those Sydney kids and got the uh, <laughs> corner post. When I, when I got from under the pile of... of um, of uh, everyone that jumped on top of me, I still had it was ripped in half, but that stayed in my bedroom for years. But um, so that was uh, that was one game we went to at Belmore, and I I just loved uh, league throughout then. And Dad played rugby league and rugby union, so ah. I, I I fell in love with the Wallabies through the eighties. I can't imagine why it was on TV here, but I do remember watching Wallabies games. And then I just fell head over heels in love with the Wallabies in the 91 World Cup. Right. Um, but, yeah, rugby league through that period, I loved uh, Terry Lamb. He was my favourite. Mm. Uh, I remember loving Steve Mortimer early. Uh, and then, you know, I watched Kangaroos matches and Brad Clyde was my favourite through, through the 90s. 
I think I heard somewhere that he he played a bit of um, high level uh, representative Aussie rules you know, around Canberra. So oh, don't um, taint his legacy like, like that, mate. Come on. <laughs> but Brad Clyde was my for, for some reason I've got strong memories of just loving Brad Clyde the way he played before. Um, and yeah, I just uh, and I, I th- there was a circuit breaker though with Super League because right. In Melbourne, you know, it's, and I've spent all my childhood in Melbourne. Right through that period, I was, I was trying to, you know, I had dreams of playing in the AFL. But, uh, yeah, the Super League was a big divide because I remember coming out of the other side of Super League. We didn't even know what had happened to Rugby League right. in Melbourne through that period. It wasn't big news down here. Um, you know, I know, I know it was probably the biggest shakeup of the game in its history, but down here, it was just like everything went blank and we never heard anything about and it was just a mess. You didn't know who's, what team was in what competition. Wow. Uh, yeah. And uh, so so thereafter, I can't, you know, I've got any strong recollections of following Canterbury after that. Right. And then, of course, after that, Melbourne Storm started up. So I took a, an interest in Melbourne Storm from that period. And then, yeah, I really wasn't. I'd love to say I was a Bulldogs <laughs> supporter because, you know, the background was strong there with that. But... Um, yeah, I sort of just changed over to, to following the Storms uh, roller coaster right after that. But uh, yeah, that was, that was Super League was bad down in Victoria. It's not unrelated to what then happened with the development of Storm, I reckon. But, yeah, uh, it, it was it really killed, and and they had a couple of good State of Origin matches down in Melbourne, one in '94. Uh, but then after that, they came back for State of Origin during Super League period, and. Hardly anyone turned up. I don't know. There might have been twenty or thirty thousand, but it wasn't that full house that we remember. So yeah, it was really on the nose down here during that period. But that's that's the long answer there. <laughs> but it, you know, I've always loved the game of rugby league, and I've always been able to watch it and enjoy it. And did and would you say then that that would be a common story for a lot of Melbourneites that they they kind of peripherally not a lot of Melbourneites but maybe some mm. Melbourneites that they had a peripheral rugby league team through some kind of family connection, um, and then everything kind of went blank during that late mid-90s, late-90s, and then everyone kind of peripherally got on the storm, some more than others, but really everyone's just kind of ish around them? I think so. I think if you land, uh, you know, they, they started up a proper team in our backyard, so um, Melbourne Storm became the, the team for people who, were, uh, who, who liked or knew what rugby league was. Don't forget, in our in our state, lots of people don't even know the difference between league and union. Right. So you know, it's starting from that very low base. But but uh, ex Sydney siders, ex Queenslanders, um, you know, expats, uh, Kiwis, mm. they're they're the ones that like rugby league, particularly in the late nineties um, when Melbourne Storm started up. And then, but I would say. Oh, you know, in the last 10 years, more and more people have been drawn to rugby league in the Melbourne Storm and, and they recognise it so much, so much more than they used to. I mean, Storm made the finals in um, 03, 04, I think, and uh, I'm pretty sure it wasn't on TV here. Wow. You know, you had to wait You had to wait until after midnight to get a replay on Channel 9. Mm. Channel 9 was the host broadcaster, but in Melbourne, they didn't play Melbourne finals. So that says a lot about what they thought of of rugby league and its place um, and its audience, I guess, in this state. I think I read that in your book that they had some, they put on some Lethal Weapon 3 or some some a movie that had already been released <laughs> 100 years ago. The Heat, that's right. And so, <laughs> but, I mean, that's, that almost seems, I mean, the risk of sounding inflammatory, it sounds, um, 
you know, vindictive almost because what, what have you got to lose? Yeah. People don't need to watch Heat in Melbourne and anyone who does want to watch the, the game can then watch that because it's live and it's, and it's their team. It seems that seems really bizarre, yeah. that, that uh, outlook. But what do you put that down to? Uh, it, it was just a, it was a dismissiveness of, of the code of rugby league. Um, is it AFL Melbourne nine, like people yeah, at channel yeah. nine? Okay. Okay. No, I was going to say it's, it's AFL and yeah. it's Aussie rule. I call it Aussie rules. Yeah. Um, sorry. Because that's the sport and the AFL is the, uh, yeah. the leading body. But, um, that's a very ABC answer of you. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've always been like that. I, I, I don't like, um, I haven't liked the corporatisation of it at all levels. You know, fair enough at the top level, but uh, you know, people in I know people in Sydney who call it AFL. Uh, they say their kids are playing AFL when they're seven or mm. nine or whatever. You know, they're doing their kick. But um, uh, I think that's a whole whole other discussion about the place that Australian rules football has in Melbourne. It's it's uh, you know they they call it a religion. And I would say that it's it's more than a religion. It's it's much stronger than that. It's um, it's all consuming. And uh, back in the day, you know, stack rugby league up against that. People just, you know, people who didn't know rugby league weren't likely to try it out. Right. And so that's the TV execs probably had it. Probably thought they knew and just thought, oh well, people aren't interested in it. Um, but you know, on those those finals that they didn't show in Melbourne. There was Billy Slater, you know, stepping out of this kid, and in the next couple of years, there was Greg Inglis, and um, mm. and these these guys are um, they're, they're athletes comparable, if not superior, to anything that was in the AFL. You know, there yeah. no better no better footballers of any code sort of running around than what these guys became, and so inevitably, you know, people catch on because. Yeah, as um, as one eyed and as um, unhinged as we are about um, <laughs> about Aussie rules and about the AFL, you know, I will defend Melbourne's uh, sport loving mm. capacity and uh, and these guys as they as they came together and started blitzing, uh, they they became something you couldn't ignore. Mm. So that kind of crazy un- unhinged, as you call it, one eyedness is that why you think it'd take ninety years for for rugby league to finally put a team in that city? Mm, yeah, I, th- I think so. Um, I mean, the nineties were transformative for for everyone, uh, not just rugby league. You know, the, the turmoil and the, and the corporate struggles and all the rest of it. There was a that that happened throughout um, the VFL in the eighties, and then they changed the name to the AFL in nineteen ninety. But even before that, they were trying to push for a national competition. The South Melbourne team went to Sydney. You know, and the other teams emerged and um, and became the national competition. So, uh, you know, it's it's easy to forget that just before that, we we didn't have live games on Saturday afternoon on TV. You know, we had to wait for the the replay on the Saturday Saturday afternoon. You know, you go you go and watch a game. I used to go with my family and watch Collingwood or St Kilda play, and then we'd get home and watch the replay. Uh, Friday night football wasn't a thing. You had to sort of wait till nine o'clock to watch watch some um, edit, edits to um, to watch the footy. So yeah, and that big world of sport wasn't with us for so long. Right. So it was local. You know, you'd go to the footy and you'd watch your team play. And so in in a lot of ways, Aussie Rules is set up like that around the memberships too. That's why we have got such strong memberships. People love to go to the games. And so I just think rugby league probably wasn't on the radar for a lot of people. Left. You know, and sport was work, 
work all week and you go to the footy on Saturdays. And, and uh, then they started having Sunday matches. You'd, you'd sit on TV and watch this uh, fantastic Sydney Swans team run around on, on Sunday, are they? And mm. Occasionally, back in the day when we had State of Origin, you know, it used to be on a Tuesday afternoon, Victoria would play Western Australia and you'd start, ride your bike home frantically from school <laughs> to watch to watch the State of Origin games, which were peculiar, it seems peculiar now that there was on Tuesday, are they? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think so. so our awareness of other sports, really, no matter where you live, had to come when when uh, when it started getting big on TV and when the sports media industry boomed like it did in the 90s right. and the footy shows and all those sorts of things. So, yeah, I don't think it was a shunning of rugby league for, for 90 years. I think it was I think it was more you just you did what you knew and you did what you loved and you didn't go looking for other stuff. Now, the Swans, though, took, a, took a, some real time to, to when they moved to Sydney and then... Um, they had to re kind of build their culture and their and their mm. whole entire thing. It took a while before two thousand and five, where they won their grand final. But Storm won it yep. in their second year. How, how do you see that as possible? Mm. What happened there that was so doable? Yeah, that was that was amazing. Um, really, that they landed and uh, and got things going straight away. Um, Chris Anderson was a terrific coach. Um, John Rebo was a was a machine behind the scenes and yeah. good salesman who was always trying to jump things up. They got some some good recruits. Uh, you know, Lazarus came. So they had some good, strong, um, experienced players. Uh, you know, and they had a couple of cult players, Marcus By, and uh, he, he really was a cult figure. He was a guy that people were talking about, you know, before people sort of um, knew what this whole thing was. He was you know, you'll find that AFL players love their wingers too, because <laughs> they, um, they they look and run a little bit like right. AFL players. Right. In the, you know, and they catch the ball above their head or mark it above their head. Um, yeah, and they they were just exceptional in those early years. Um, straining my memory to to remember the whole list, but um, you know, Kamali was there, wasn't he? He was, yeah. you know, one of the best halfbacks in the game. Um, just distributing. They had some um, they had some real workhorses in the team. And they uh, and they ended up having a little bit of luck in that grand final that <laughs> that mm-hmm. they needed, and uh, they just hung in all the way. And yeah, it was it was phenomenal. I I don't think you see something like that too often, um, if ever again, that a team lands like that. I mean, if you look at a formation of a team, what the AFL did with. Um, GWS, and I won't frustrate um, listeners by giving too many more AFL um, comparisons. No, but you're talking about how how clubs grow. Like, that's fascinating in all sports. Yeah, and, uh, well, Sydney Sydney Swans, they threw a lot of money at them. When South Melbourne went up there in the 80s, oh, they they were were a fantastic team. I mean, they had players like Greg Williams and, um, you know, Warwick Kappa, and uh, the, the, the list is endless. You know, they had these star players, and they were superb to watch in the 80s. I know they didn't crack it for a... um, for a grand final, but they were something similar, you know, mature players um, on this new exciting venture and just, just made it happen. Um, but as I said, they didn't, they didn't, they weren't good enough to beat the likes of Hawthorne for grand finals and premierships. But um, yeah, Storm did it the right way at the start by bringing these established guys. Rebo knew that he needed two things. He needed players that uh, had some sort of, um, uh, pulling pack, pulling power with um, with rugby league fans in Melbourne, you know those 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 
good big names. Um, Lazarus fitted into that. Mm. Um, and they were looking at putting up billboards and all this sort of stuff. They didn't have a huge budget, but they, they wanted players that they could market a little bit. Uh, I do think Anderson was a big signing as a, as a coach. Um, he knew what it took. And, uh, yeah, they just, they, they had a good strong team to start, start off. And I can't remember the final series, but they, off the top of my head, I have to reread my book, but they, um, <laughs> You know, that was a that was an unbelievable grand final, wasn't it? One hundred and ten thousand people or something. Mm, I was. Would you believe it was my first grand final as well? Just as a bizarre side oh, you note. Were there? Yeah, it was the first grand final my dad took me to. It was it was a great one. Yeah, well, you 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 were, you remember it um, uh, more clearly than I do. I rewatched it and I wrote about it and all the rest of it, but it seemed like just one out of the box. The enormous crowd. Mm. Um, Mundine dropping the ball over the line. Um, they had just a little bit of, they were under pressure. But, and then there was a, a double try right at the end with the knockout. <laughs> Someone yeah, got knocked out. Crazy. Uh, yeah, it was unbelievable. And and the way that it happened too, I know that um, that, that, that played into the Melbourne Storm story too because they won that premiership early. The next couple of years, they were a real struggle. And I think Anderson was on the record of saying a couple of years later, you know, we, we had that success and we... We sort of dropped the ball, and I'm paraphrasing, but sort of dropped the ball in a couple of different areas, and and things started to fall away um, after that. Our players moved as well, and they had um, oh, they had some big uh, big names leave. Um, Matt Matt Orford, uh, I think, was one of them. There, there. Well, Orford, yeah, I think Orford came in later. I think um, I think Kamali left, and that was a big deal. And Orford took his spot, but then Orford left You're as right. well. Mm. Yeah, Richard Swain was the big one, and you know Richard Swain was so popular at Melbourne Storm a couple of years later. I think he had, I think he had the most tackles of any player in the league for about three or four years. Um, you know, played 125 games in a row. Just wow. was absolutely beloved by the Melbourne Storm followers as they were then, because a lot of ex Kiwis were, um, mm. were following Storm. So they loved Swain, but he moved, and there was different dealings. Anyway, he went, and of course that that opened the door for Cameron Smith to um, to play a permanent role as hooker. Um, had Swain stayed, by the way, Smith was looking at options to to move. You know, he didn't see he played a couple of games in '02, I think, from memory, and then he didn't see any point in being Swain's understudy from then on. So, <laughs> yeah, that these these different things fell in place after the lean times after the premiership and then these things fell in place where you you, um, you saw these young players were unearthed and became the, the champions we know today. Mm. And can you believe it? You know, oh, Cameron Smith's still going, still yeah. playing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's, um, it's, it's, uh, it's almost unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, particularly when reading this book, you see that, well, I was reminded that Crink, Cronk Smith and Slater are all kind of unearthed at the same time and, and both of those, all three of them have had phenomenal careers, but two of them, not only had phenomenal careers, but have also both retired and retired at a you know at a really substantial age. And then and then oh, there's still reports today of of um, Smith looking to go another year. What you've just talked about there yeah. though is is your part one of that book. Your, your book's put into four parts, and it's phenomenal. Can you talk us through a bit? Because you, you just mentioned then even you didn't the storm didn't have much of a salary or didn't have a huge amount of money to spend at the beginning when Rebo's there. Yep. Uh, and Rebo, I know, um, I think it's in part two, we start seeing Rebo 
getting frustrated because News Limited doesn't want all these salary cap infringements. One thing I learned from Storm Clouds is that every every club every year seems to be getting some kind of salary cap infringement and yeah. it's just it's just the the severity of it that, that gets reported on. And so Rebo ends up getting pushed or, or fired or whatever or, or moved on because of his constant infringements. Uh, and then yeah. the next bloke comes in, the next CEO, and, and that's kind of what parts two, three, and four focus on, the uh, the build-up of that CEO, Walden. I think I've now I've forgotten his name. Yeah, Waldron, Brian Waldron. So talk, try and talk us through three quarters of a book, if you can. <laughs> yeah, no worries. <laughs> Well, yeah, and it's um, it's worth pointing out that I've, when I set about writing a book, uh, it was a couple of years after the the scandal, and you know, ideally you've had a lot of bit of time pass between something happening and then a full full book written about it, particularly when the story hasn't hasn't been told in such a way. So, um, what I wanted to do right from the start was was give everything context, mm. and so it wasn't. It wasn't ever going to be just about you know um, you Schubert tracking these guys down and um, and this breakthrough and then the big you know the big um, crisis and uh, storm gets stripped. If I'd written about those three or four years only, I think you would have missed a lot. You know, and the and the context is in the beginning of Melbourne Storm, how it was established. Mm. How Rebo was sent here by News Limited to, to set up a team so that the competition um, could have national sponsors. So that, and Hardigan um, hard explained this to me as uh, much later as uh, he said, we we're losing money on Storm. Broncos are okay. Cowboys are okay. These are all un- had ownership models of News Limited. Yeah. But Storm was losing money. But overall, it was good for the competition uh, and good for the. Um, uh, good for their business model because if they had a Melbourne influence, they could get national sponsors. Mm. They, they could do without having teams in WA and South Australia. If they had Queensland, Sydney, Queensland, New South Wales, Melbourne, uh, Victoria, they could get national sponsorship. So mm. that was the big game overall, and that's why News Limited hung in. And in the in the details of the appointments of people and so on, you know, that was further down the chain, and. And, and sort of things happened where News Limited's absolute top brass, um, you know, didn't have day-to-day. So even though Hardigan, by the way, he he had to okay Brian Waldron coming in. So you're right, Rebo, Rebo was getting, under, under Rebo's watch, the storm was getting pinged with salary cap infringements. Uh, and we're talking, I haven't got the figures in front of me, but 02, 03, 04, around that, around that period. Yeah. And, and just to put it in context, anyone who doesn't know what's happening, Ian Schubert, the guy you mentioned before, he's working for the NRL and he's the kind of overlord of, of checking everyone's um, yeah. salary cap. So he's the one who tells someone if, if your TPAs or whatever aren't in sync. And Rebo is yeah. incredibly the guy who's, who's built up Brisbane. He then was a mouthpiece for Super League and has now moved to yeah. Melbourne. So he's having the most incredible, death, tumultuous career after being an incredible player as well. So... So that's all, yeah, that's where those people are. Yeah, yeah. Well, so Rebo was new, some of his troubleshooters. He comes yeah. down <laughs> the dirty work and get the team set up. Yeah. And, and Schubert's the detective. But, you know, everyone, it wasn't so clear. They all had these right. uh, relationships. They all knew each other or talked to each other. And, and infringements, you know, it was, um, it was a great discovery to me that um, that the NRL used to place the, uh, the infringements lists every year on its website. So, what? Right. 
it wasn't a um, it wasn't a secret that you know six, seven, eight clubs would would infringe the cap and get pinged however however many dollars. Um, you know, if you can self-report, it might be a uh, might be an accounting error. That's <laughs> mostly likely to yeah. like to say, <laughs> yeah. or or it might be that they're pushing the boundaries and they fell over. And you know, salary cap stuff is is imprecise too. If you've got players on um, on bonuses here or there, or um, you know, it's purely on on match payments, so you didn't see one player emerge. All that rest of it, you know, sponsorship, third-party agreements, all the rest. So. Um, yeah, but anyway, News Limited, this is it, and this is uh, what um, Hardigan said, that he believed that around that time it was embarrassing for News Limited to get to infringements, they half owned the league, and they, um, you know, they own this club. And it, he said it was more embarrassing for us to have those infringements than it was uh, for other clubs that weren't News Limited owned to, to get infringements. But keep in mind, there, there, was, a, um, there was the handling of, of a, of a sex scandal that didn't go into criminal proceedings or whatever else. So I won't go too far into it, but, you know, they, um, they weren't happy with how that was handled during a period of time. And, mm. and if you want details of that, just sort of read those chapters. But uh, anyway, Rebo had moved on. He'd done, the, done his work. They needed a CEO. In comes Brian Waldron. And he had an, he had an AFL background. And that was deliberate too. News Limited wanted, wanted a guy who was... Um, Experience with the Melbourne media and um, sporting landscape. Waldron had been at St Kilda. He'd been moved on from there. Uh, he was a, um, a bloke's bloke, as Hardigan said. Um, he was recommended for the job. Uh, initially, they wanted a guy called Brian Cook, who's a big name in AFL. Um, was the boss of West Coast in the 90s when they were powerful. Was the boss of Geelong after that. He almost got the job as the boss of AFL, but Andrew Dementia, um just bobbed up in front of him. And so Cook thought about taking the, the job off at Tuna Storm, but balked and stayed at Geelong and won premierships there. And then Waldron was the next best um, candidate. And uh, so they signed him up and he was and he was a salesman. They wanted an entrepreneur and he, they got mm. one. He was, he was ready to sell the club and, um, and promote it and, uh, and all the rest of it. And that was what he was praised for. But, I mean, the success of the club... Um, if you wanted to uh, to talk about why it was successful, it wasn't because of the CEO that came in. It was it was happening before the very eyes. The key appointment of Craig Bellamy as a coach. Yep. Um, the arrival of Slater. I mean, just just quickly, I've just opened a book here on 2003, round one, 2003. They played Cronulla. This is Bellamy's first first <laughs> first um, coaching effort. Uh, the, t- the team, uh, Matt Guy, Slater, Kidwell, Bell, By, Hill, Orford, Kearns, Cameron Smith, Rodney Howe, Steve Kearney was in there, mm. Dallas Johnson was playing his debut. Um, you know, it's a, it's a good young team. Yeah, you recognise all those names, yeah. Yeah, and they, we, we wouldn't have known it at the time, although they, they did pip them, and um, that was when um, and Slater ran around Peachy and uh, showed how good he was. But... Um, you know, we didn't know at that stage that, that Bellamy was such a great coach and he had these great players, but he did. And, and then Walden came in after that and and he ran the administrative side of it. But, um, you know, Storm was on its way. Had these Cameron Smith plucked out of Brisbane and Billy Slater famous, famously through Innisfail, almost went to the Broncos, but landed Storm. And Storm was good at recruiting. You know, mm. Sullivan was signed English not long after that and, Storm was really, really good at recruiting and um, and talent spotting. 
and getting players in, and then and then Bellamy on his first day as as coach goes around the tan. There's a famous running track in Melbourne called the Tan, short for Botanical Gardens. It's about four k all around. Bellamy takes his players across the road from Olympic Park and they run around the tan, and he wins. You know, the coach the coach wins, and and then ever word spreads back to the head office. Yeah. You know, the coach has beat all the players around <laughs> yeah. the track. Yeah. So all of a sudden, what happens at, at an, any sporting team where a coach comes in and makes such a statement, all of the standards start to rise yep. and everyone, everyone has to get better or lose. So yeah, I don't know if I've, if I've captured what you're Well, that's definitely – but yeah, and they have – well, that's, that's, that's part two, yeah. yeah. And the interesting thing about the context is that AFL thing constantly leaks back in because a lot of the people who move in and out of the storm are, are coming in and out of AFL and they're – and I think you mentioned – because we're going to get to accounting in a second. When when the accountants come over, a lot of these people are fascinated by rugby league just in the numerical sense because the salary cap there is so much more challenging than it is in the AFL. That that to a lot of these accountant mm. people, that's a really rewarding challenge to try and deal with. Um, yep. And and so that's yeah, well, uh, was, not normal incident yeah, either. Yeah, it was a different world, and these guys that um, that were Waldron's team, administrative team. A lot of them did have that background in AFL. So, um, yeah, what they found with the with the salary cap with, um, uh, you know, and Waldron was in charge, let's just say that uh, right right from the start. Some people um, think that he, he got off easy, believe it or not, after what News Limited um, came down with in its coverage. But, um, yeah, Waldron was in charge and he takes responsibility for all of it. But um, he's... The, the salary cap stuff is never simple, mm. um, and nor was it in the AFL, but the AFL to, seems to the people in, in charge of Storm seem to be you know, much more willing to sort of work through issues with you, whereas the clubs are left alone a little bit more. Um, you know, Ian Schubert had an offside, I forget his name, but who then took over, and they were very, they were very good. I mean... Some of the people at Storm sort of looked at them as if they, you know, weren't quite on the ball at times. But um, they, they were on the ball. Of course, there are different nuances, but there were commercial factors in everything. Um, and overarching was News Limited's place there too. Uh, it, you know, needed Melbourne to to not have these losses. You know, while yeah. I was there to, to to try and have to minimise those losses and to try and make it successful. Eventually, News Limited never really wanted to keep owning it. They wanted to be able to sell it. Um, but how do you sell a business that's losing money every yeah, year? So yeah. there were those commercial responsibilities. Meanwhile, the team's charging along and then and then they make grand finals. You know, in 06, favourites to win, don't win, and the pressure mounted again after that. Um, you know, the salary cap was a problem. Um, but how do you cut players loose, loose when you haven't won that premiership that you thought you were going to win in 06? And so, yeah, it snowballed from there as well. But, um, yeah, it's an interesting one. The, the AFL influence um, with with the salary cap and the people that, that handled the books, I think um, there were differences, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Sometimes I, I think maybe uh, Waldron didn't sort of think highly enough of, of rugby league and, uh, right. and those who were who following the rules. And, 
No, but he was he was he was getting very excited by what the what the franchise was doing too, which was dominating the league. So um yeah, once again talk about context and so much going on there. I just found it fascinating um to, to put it all down and uh yeah, and all of these to play, you know, you forget that Izzy full hour bobs up. Yeah. <laughs> all of, <laughs> yeah. You know, all, all of a sudden you've got you've got Smith, Inglis, Slater all winning golden boots for that period. Um you know, Izzy full hour bobs up and then you've got this weapon, this athletic weapon that we, we all know um has gone on and then a star wallaby as well and even cross, yeah, you know, which is crazy to think. He went to AFL for a year. Mm. So anyway, uh, all of those things happened, and um, you know, regardless of what happened, but off the field as well with him. But yeah, so yeah, this amazing team, and they just wanted to uh, keep winning. Uh, there's pressure from above for them to keep doing that. And so Walden's um, given. Um Walden's given the kind of green light on on more money from News Limited, but has also told you can't have any more infringements. So he now starts to to live this world where he has more expend like more disposable cash, but can't let it be seen that it's going to players. He has that accountant who's quite um, besotted with him, but but later finds out that he's that he's doing the wrong thing. You know, there's a whole other yeah. thing about Walden's personal life. He, I can't remember that accountant's name. There was it. Is it Vale or what was that man's name? Oh, Cameron Vale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cameron Vale. So they have. The, yeah. So we've got. He came across with uh, with him from St. Kilda. Kilda. Yeah, and so he's doing an excellent job, just generally in his world of of making spreadsheets work. He's got Walden, who who's got an extra budget, and he's trying to sell this thing, and he wants to win. And then he's also got. Mm. We've also got Bellia. We've got Craig Bellamy, who 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 is control of the entire football family, and and thinks that he's in control of who he has and, you know, the players that he wants to select and keep. And you mentioned mm. as well O'Sullivan, the, the person who's out there picking um, kids, and then because the football department finds finds kids and, and then grows them, they don't want to lose them, and they can also see they're talented. Mm. You've got Walden, who's got all this extra cash, can't can't be seen to break any um, uh, any of those uh, laws or the, the TPA problems or the... Or, yeah, and then and then you have this kid who the Vale bloke who's not a kid, sorry, the Vale guy who's um who's an expert at making everything kind of hide away, but starts to then realise he doesn't want to do this anymore, and that and, and he was raised he was raising the alarms within the club. Yeah, now. and that's all spiralling while they're still winning. Like it's an mm. incredible time to be stuck in between those four people. I mean, I feel like I'm stuck because I'm reading it, and you know, you're kind of there as a voyeur going, <laughs> yeah. you can't believe these four people are all imploding while they're winning 07. They're, they're getting thrashed in 08, but they're still there or thereabouts. So they made the grand final. And then they're there again in 09 winning it. And all of this craziness is happening behind the, behind the scenes. And Vale, I think, I think leaves and another bloke comes in from the AFL yeah. um, who also goes, I don't really want to do this. Um, yeah. But we, then we doesn't had, leave. Had, and I, I would encourage anyone that wants to, to read it. Um, to read it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you can get, get a copy. I don't know where you bought it, but um, whether you can still buy it online. But um, I wrote it seven years ago. I wrote it well eight years ago, and it came out seven years ago. Um, so those, even those now, to me, those those smaller details and and the story really of Storm during that um, troubled period was was all in the small detail. Mm. You know, so. Um, go and read it if you if you want to read it. Um, it's hard for me to to even pick out little details now, having not gone back and and read it. You know, I was, I was immersed in it when I was writing it, 
uh, and I could talk about any sentence in the book, but um, yeah, it's better than rather than going because if the one thing that I wanted to do was just be as fair to everyone as possible when I wrote it. Right. Um, and I had someone say to me after the after it came out um, that they read it and they and they said they couldn't work it out because it sounded like uh, everyone was to blame and no one was to blame. And in a way, that sort of you know that that's that's a proper reaction from that person and. And it speaks to to just trying to be fair and putting all of the facts there and letting people make up their own mind um, when they read it. Um, you know, and there's so and and I think that's the fairest way to cover this story as well um, for people to make up their own mind and go back and read it. And now you can do it with a bit of bit more hindsight as right, well. Right. There's large parts of the of the middle of the book where I go into what makes. Craig Bellamy, such a successful coach, um, during that period with that with that group that he had, and that was fascinating to me because I was I was um, I still am you know really interested in team building and and what makes successful teams and um, you know they used to have those probably still do the um, the camps on preseason where they take players away and um, almost military style camps and. You know, lots of clubs try those and fail, but it seems like Storm got the right mix on that, where they would they would get the characters. You get the athletes they wanted, but they also had the characters. They had um, his development of of Storm, Cronk, and Slater, and others. Uh, you know, they had we'll forget about Hoffman, um, but Inglis, and and um, you know, so many others, too many to name. But his development of their leadership, I think, is really important. Because the best sports teams ever had the best, to me, had the best on-field leadership. And Bellamy was, in a way, he was blessed because Smith, Cronk, and Slater, if you've got your best three players, yeah. they're also the best three characters. They never do anything wrong. They set great standards mm. of training. They are, that's the best you can have. And in AFL comparison, that Hawthorne had there for a while, Hodge, Mitchell, and Lewis. To have, to have three or four star players who are your best, Best role models as well. Bellamy was blessed to have that in that one team, but I, I don't know the guy, and I'm, I'm you know, I, I don't know Craig Bellamy, and I don't know these other guys personally. But you would have to say from the outside that Bellamy, um, in the way he coached, developed their leadership and 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 helped bring on them as leaders. Right. So that was something phenomenal for that period. So. That's something else that I wanted to explore, and um, once again, you know, everything is is um, part of the bigger story. And now, having had the success they've had, when the book comes out in, or that just as they won the next premiership, um, having rebounded from this enormous scandal, which is one of the best comebacks in Australian sport, yeah, to, to then go on and win so many minor premierships, win another premiership, uh, and to keep to keep their standards so high after Slater's retired, after Cronk moves, mm. English left after the the, the scandal. Um, to lose so many players and keep going, well, it just says so much about the Smith and Bellamy partnership. There's probably a probably a book in the Smith-Bellamy partnership at some stage as well if you want to be a, a student of success because, you know, they just they just kept going and they're still going today. You mm. know, you look at Pappenhausen now and he looks like another... Billy Slater, <laughs> probably will never be another Billy Slater. But but you, you squint your eyes and you think, yeah. hey, that's Slater back out there." <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, and they get these guys who, are, who don't do well at other clubs and they do well at Storm. So that's all to be taken into account as well. Yeah. Um, and other teams have had their have since been busted for salary cap, haven't they? But they haven't had those premierships to take away. So no. That's a different way of looking at it. Too. What about uh, one thing that I found fascinating in it amongst a, a thousand things is you had you had the contracts, the actual contracts in there, and part of one of the Cameron Smith's one, uh, and uh, is that he he has a clause in there in his in his second contract or whatever you want to call it, the letter yeah. of intent or whatever it was called, that if Bell if Craig Willemy leaves, that he's allowed to um to leave as well, and so. You see, even there, in a kind of, uh, uh, you know, they're getting all this extra money, and it's kind of a, you know, I need a car yeah. for this person. I need a, you know, all these things. But also in in those, you know, it's almost not greedy, but you know, those kind of underhanded side contracts are still in their stomach about Bellamy. That it's so important to them, his leadership or their their relationship is so important that um that even yeah. in, in everything that they're going to sign, they want to make sure that they everyone understands that Bellamy and, and Smith are the two people together. Did you find anything? Like that. I mean, that's kind of interesting. But did you find anything that was particularly rewarding once you'd finished writing the book? Rewarding about uh, the process? Or? Yeah. Oh, rewarding for me, yeah, as a journalist. I mean, the whole, the whole thing was um, because, you know, I'd written an investigative book. Uh, this was another investigative book. It was unique to write a book about rugby league in Melbourne with a Melbourne publisher. Mm. You know, uh, I had people knock back. I had publishers say, this is a very good idea for a book. We think it'll be a very good book, but we will not publish it because News Limited won't like it. Right. And then there, you go, there goes your advertising because, you know, News Limited's um, got such, uh, you know, own so much in the media and if they decide not, they don't want to promote the book, then um, who knows about it. <laughs> so, yeah, but um, Hardy Grant was the publisher. Uh, in Melbourne, they were really, um, they were the opposite. They were, well, no, we want to write this book because it does raise questions of, um, of News Limited's mm. position in in this, uh, you know, arguably the biggest sporting scandal of uh, all time. So, um, yeah, that was really interesting, all the, the behind-the-scenes stuff. Um, when it did come out, of course, News Limited had sold Storm by then. So it got a big splash in the Daily Telegraph um, and two... Two extracts, I think, from memory, um, full page extracts, but never got reported really in the Herald Sun. Mm. Um, and Melbourne Storms had always had strong relationships with the Herald Sun. So, uh, that were those, those little things that probably bore other people, but were interesting to me as a media person, <laughs> so as a journalist. Uh, and just the, you know, a couple of, couple of things stand out, and it's just off the top of my head when I, I'm just thinking about how many interviews I did. Right. And there are too many to count. I interviewed one player, I won't, I won't say his name, but I interviewed him and he was talking about the breakdown of the club after the salary cap and he he started crying at one stage um, when he talked about Bell, Craig Bellamy. Wow. And, and there were those little moments, including that one, that uh, gave me some insight. As I said, I'm a journalist, I don't know Craig Bellamy. Um but uh, that gave me the insight into how much they cared for each other. And you can, I, I could name sports teams over the years, um, if I thought about it, to, where they, they say they love each other and, you know, it just seems like a little, little bit put on. But this was so genuine and the Storm players, they, they really loved each other for that period of time and they loved Craig Bellamy. These players would just do anything for him. So 
and that was that was a visceral reaction. And so that was, um, as somebody loves sport, yep. that was really impressive to see. And the other thing, if you talk about the money, uh, there was a, a one of the sponsors was giving one of the players uh, a bit of money to do something. And I think it's unfair for me to, to pluck it off the top of my head because I can't remember the exact details. And as I said, everything's in detail. But the, the money that the player was getting from the sponsor seems to me to be under. <laughs> for, for the amount of money that is that is made by people that run professional sport, mm-hmm. sometimes you sit back and you go, ah, oh, that's, that's nothing. You know? You're using that player's... Um, face and name, and yeah, right. In America, in America, these players would be getting millions, and millions of dollars. Now <laughs> we're talking about talking about peanuts for these guys that play rugby league and and uh, play a sport where they can get really maimed. You know, it's, it's not a uh, it's not a walk in the park. Um, you know, and their their image and their name is everything when they get to the top of the game. And yet, I didn't think they were getting a lot of money. Yeah, right. Uh, Obviously, there are, there are rules and salary cap. They have to get paid within those with those rules. Okay, all, all that we know all that. But uh, yeah, at some stage, I just kept getting my mind. Oh, geez, is it a lot of money? You know, for, for the really top for the really top players, and then and the bottom players, yeah, you know, earning much more than a labourer. You know, just, yeah, right. And, uh, they were getting and were getting a lot of money either. So I don't know. It's, it's for me. I compare it probably to overseas, which is. Silly as well because we know that other other sports in other nations have got bigger populations and that's mm. where the money comes from. But uh, yeah, some of those players that, and I can understand those players. You know what? I'm being painted as a as a, um, as a greedy person here and um, putting my hand out and all the rest of it. Shit, you know, I'm not getting that much money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It might have, the salaries have probably have gone up over time, but um, yeah, those are two things that jumped out at me. The love for, for Craig Bellamy would by the players, and uh, and the fact that the money is uh, is all, it's all relative, you know. So when we talk about it, it's no, uh, make up your own mind, you know. Read, read read the story, make up your own mind, and don't be swayed by these front page headlines mm. uh, that, that can get a little bit over the top. Now let's think about then once it had happened and and it uh, and it broke publicly at the time. I think it was twenty ten. The, we see Craig yeah. Bellamy and the, and the and the playing group being quite staunch and, and stuck together. Do you think? Uh, I mean, you you're a Storm fan before it. Did it have much of an impact yeah. on the fans and the fandom after once that it had happened? Yeah, I think. Well, we saw a few few fans straight after that handing back their memberships, and there was a bit of blowback from play, from members that thought they'd been duped. Mm. Uh, I think that the um, I think the the way that Bellamy led the players across the ground became a very powerful image, and um, you know, keeping in mind that Storms Storms following through that period had been, despite what we said before about rugby leagues um, not being here, you know, there in, in their sporting lives of Victorians by this time, right? You know, they, it had a strong following, and it had a lot of people who would love their AFL, but then they'd watch their um, they watch their, their favourite Melbourne Storm team. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, by the way, they'd watch them play State of Origin. A lot of Victorians became green. Of course, of Origin. course. You know, State of Origin wasn't always live on uh, on TV in, in Victoria, but now it was. And, you know, watch, watch the big three go and dominate, the big four as it was, go and dominate State of Origin. So there was a lot more 
awareness of Melbourne Storm by the time this thing broke. They still weren't making money like they wanted to. They still weren't quite ready to sell the team. That's News Limited. Mm. But it was it had some really good people involved. Uh, they, they were running it as well as they, as they could, I say, ironically, obviously, um, notwithstanding the salary cap <laughs> uh, and the cheating and, and the cheating that went on. Yeah. Uh, but but in all other aspects, it, it had a good following. So then the reaction to people who have got AFL teams, they, they, they live and breathe their AFL following, but they like the Melbourne Storm. It would have been some, some people that would have thought, oh, why do I care about Melbourne Storm? They were cheating all along. Mm. But, but really, if they were your second team and second code, a lot of people in Melbourne uh, never really drifted too far away from them. Right. And thought, well... You know what did what did go on there, and um, you know, and then all the players who, who did stay, you know, Smith stayed, and Slater stayed, and Cronk stayed, and so they had a good team to follow. The two thousand and was it the two thousand and ten year where they played without points? Um, you know, they kept fronting up. They won over some admirers there, and then next year they come out win the minor premiership. Um, you know, and go all the way soon after. Uh, yeah, so I, I think through that time, while some may have dropped off, they didn't. They didn't lose all that much support mm. in Melbourne. If anything, they became a, a strong presence. They won premierships anyway. They got taken off them, but um, you know, they, by then they were well known. People got behind them. There's a bit of, you know, up yours to Sydney from Melbourne people anyway. <laughs> uh, you know, which has been which has been around that predates us predates us all, you know, that was yeah. around colonial times, <laughs> Melbourne right. Sydney. So, you know, books have been written about that too. But um, you know, there's a bit of that. Screw Sydney, Sydney people don't like. I mean, we can watch the you can still watch Melbourne Storm games and um and sense that commentators don't want Melbourne Storm to win. And that's a feeling that Victorian fans have of Melbourne Storm. You watch, you go, oh, gee, the commentators <laughs> look like they want um, Craig Bellamy to blow up and Melbourne Storm to lose. And through that period, definitely. Uh, leading Do you still feel up, like that? Uh, I can, uh, maybe not so much. I can sense it a little, a little bit here and there. Yeah, mate, not so much. It's definitely not overwhelming anymore. Now, PK, I've um, got to tell you that my only understanding of Melbourne Knights yeah. is that they have a constant paranoia about Sydney Siders, and you have just yeah. played accidentally straight into that because I can't – I've never I, heard I, I, that. I, I've never heard that you, in my life. You You're the first Melbourne Knight I've ever reckon, heard that. You don't reckon Sydney commentators <laughs> to lose at all? But, mate, I was in a – I once went to Melbourne recently and was sitting having dinner with uh, with my wife there and the people next to us, a 20-year-old um, yeah. pair of people, were just talking about – geez, they were talking about how nice the place was and just out of nowhere started talking about how there, there are no restaurants like this in Sydney. I, I have no idea why on earth they brought it up, but it made me <laughs> well, laugh. I tried – yeah, we don't even know what I'm talking about and you're, you're sure that that restaurant doesn't <laughs> exist. See, this is what I'm talking about. And, and I, I bristled and was trying really hard not to laugh and my wife was giving these eyes going, please don't say anything because I'm, I'm an extrovert and was more than happy to turn and have a friendly conversation with these people about it and how funny I thought about this situation. Chose not to, but I just love that you've now, I've never brought it up with you, but you've accidentally done a, a Melbourne versus Sydney thing, even in the commentary now. I love it. And, I, and you know what? I think, well, that, I think the Melbourne thing works well in this context that Melbourne can survive this craziness with that up your Sydney. Sydney didn't like this. Sydney came down and took the premiership's office when New South Wales did. Yep. And so maybe in yep. any other context, particularly if it's a Sydney club, it might implode, whereas a Melbourne fan base or resilience might 
not enjoy it, but yeah, there, there might be some mental thing in there where they're, where they're, they're happy to go back to that Melbourne team because it's fighting against the Sydney yep. mentality. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's definitely a, a strong feeling there. Um, <laughs> Love you know, it. We could, we, could, we could talk about whether it goes to Paul Phillip Bay versus Sydney Harbour and all the rest of it, but <laughs> it's there. Trust me, it's there. Okay. And um, that, that's the feeling. So did they lose? I don't know. So did they lost that, all that much support in Melbourne. Right. Um, you know, and, and the star players and the coach stayed mostly. Um, you know, everyone's second centre probably became South Sydney because people just love Greg Inglis so much. Mm-hmm. And um, watching your story on the Australian story the other night reminded us of that. Um, so, yeah. And, uh, you know, they kept going and what they've been able to do is, is phenomenal. Interesting to see what happens you know, when Smith stops playing and Bellamy yeah. decides to stop coaching, um, that, that that partnership has promised before. We thought before that it was going to end, you know, but Bellamy just kept coaching. Um, I would like to see him coaching another club, by the way. Yeah. I, was, I would still love to see that, not because I want to see him play Melbourne Storm, but um, he's a fascinating coach, you know, even the way he blows up in the box. Now, after all of these years, after mm-hmm. all of the success, you know, he's, he's, that intensity is still so um, great in in the coaching box. Yeah, he rides those bumps. You know, must be must, for anyone else it would have been exhausting over this time to ride all those bumps the way he does. So, you know, fascinating character. Yeah, he takes every knock on personally, like someone's just you know insulted him or his relatives. Um, now, yeah. from my experience, people have not forgotten those asterisk years. You go to the Hall of Heroes. Mm-hmm. Sydney has a rugby league. A museum thing, and there it has all of the premierships since 1908, and then the um, 07 and 09 are redacted, and so it's a really obvious, like uh, physical and visual um, reminder of, of those those yep. times. And so, it sounds like it hasn't had much of an impact long term, uh, even on the growth of rugby league, because it, it it seems to have grown more and more in Melbourne. But do you think it's had an impact, say, on on someone like Cameron Smith, who constantly records more and more records, and then every time mm. it's every time it's Touted, understandably touted. It's there is an underbelly or an undercurrent of people saying, "Yeah, but anyone can meet yeah. these milestones with if you're cheating that much." Do, do you do you get that yeah. sense in Melbourne still? In, in Melbourne, it's different. It is different. If you raise that, if you say, if, if someone that loves Melbourne Storm says, "You know, how about this team? You know, they've, they've been so good. How many premierships have they won?" And if somebody would say, oh, hang on a second, you know, they only won two of them because they were over the cap and, mm. you know, had the mistake in the way. And you said, you can't count those. Well, you could laugh at because people just say, oh, you're kidding, aren't you? They won them, fair and square. Um, there, there's that that attitude. There's not a big, um, as I said, you know, the blowback was, was there for a little while, but then there's a staunch defence, I think, and there's a, there's a, uh, there's a bit of protection there with the Melbourne fans of, of Melbourne Storm. Um, but keep, keeping in mind, it's, it's not just people that go to the games all the time. They, they're the fierce, they would be the fierce defenders of the record of Bellamy and um, despite any salary cap stuff. Mm. Um, and the players, of course. But um, there are others who like the Melbourne Storm. That's their, that's their rugby league team, but they they follow AFL, you know, yeah. AFL's their first sport. So they're... They probably haven't thought that much about it, you know. Cause they stand up for Storm, and uh, you know that's it's pretty easy for them to do. Uh, you can point at other teams. One of the big things that the, the franchise tried to do at the time, and every club has done when they fall into a crisis, is well, 
everyone breaks the salary cap. Um, yeah. And we've had salary cap breaches in the AFL too, so everyone knows about salary cap. And um, so it's easy to write off and say, oh, no, they, just, they were the only ones that got caught that had the premierships to take off. Mm. So that's the general feeling. I don't, hard for me to generalise, um, but that, that's how I see it. Uh, the people will defend their record and, and the asterisks with the players, really interesting with the players that I spoke to who won those premierships and um, or won those grand finals, I should say. And, and they now don't have the premierships to boast. They will say, "Well, it happened. Yeah, we played that that uh, grand final. Mm. I, we won it. I was there. I experienced it. Yeah. I've still got the feelings from it. You can't take that away from me." Yeah. So that's the way the players, and that's that's basic psychology, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, how, how do you wipe off a memory? Yeah. 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 Yeah, and so and they're they're down here. They're surrounded by their own their own uh, Melbourne followers, and nobody's challenging that day in day out. They're not hearing. They're not getting trolled about it. Mm. Um, so they would say that happened. We won it. We won those grand finals. Yeah. And you can say whatever you like about the premierships, but we won them. It yeah. happened. Yeah, and yeah. You can't take it away from me. And that's that's a uh, that's valid. That's a natural. That's a natural reaction. I'm not sure that it's. That it's credible, um, but that's I don't know. It's for other people to, to decide whether or not they think that way. So then, going through all that tumultuous stuff in in, in a city like Melbourne, in, in from a Sydney game, that you would yeah. you would assess then that the growth of putting Melbourne in a, putting the storm in Melbourne has been a success for the growth of rugby league um, because it's been not only so successful, but it's also endured so much and still remained so successful and, and popular. So, how do you compare then Australia as uh, Australia's growth of sport, looking at rugby league compared to AFL or soccer or cricket? When they, when, when it's mainly everyone talks about how Australia's rugby league community is essentially on the Eastern Seaboard, but before you mentioned that the News Limited really only wanted that Eastern Seaboard because that's where so much of the population is. So, how do you, how do you look at rugby league, Aussie rules, um, soccer, cricket, and and look at the growth of those games across the country? That's a that's a big question. Um, the participation rates are a really interesting thing. That's where I look for the health of the game. Um, and you know, this might, this might be a little bit a bit boring for the listeners who love their league, but you know, I'm in AFL heartland here. I live, um, you know, as I said, I'm in the outer suburbs, uh, traditional Aussie rules area. <laughs> And there are some parts of Melbourne that can't get Auskick up now. When Auskick's there, they're much touted. So I've started a program at um, six, seven, eight, nine, nine yeah, years old. Why? There are some school. There are some schools in strong areas, uh, traditional Aussie rules areas that can't get um, can't get uh, Aussie rules played in their, their yeah. schools. They, they, these are areas. The areas I just mentioned. Then they're, they're new Australians. You know they're. The AFL's done as much as it can to embrace multiculturalism and get those kids from different backgrounds into the sport. They've got, they've got a pathway thing set up for them. But uh, in some areas, it's not happening. In some areas of country Victoria, which is, you know, um, uh, which is Aussie Rules Heartland as well, there are there are worries about numbers coming through. So um, that speaks to, to Aussie Rules struggle. Um, Setting up in GWS, uh, setting up in Greater Western Sydney and the Gold Coast, I think, 
I'm on the record as saying that I think they should have set up a team in Tasmania. Mm. Um, I know that the I know that the market and the numbers and whatever we've been told doesn't stack up, but you know I think you've got to look after your heartland um, first and foremost. And if you can grow the game after that, that's great. Others all just dismiss that as a uh, as a pig-headed old old school argument. But um, whatever, I'm, I'm not in marketing. <laughs> yeah. um, but but I will say, you know, until this year, Gold Coast hasn't been flying and. and uh, GWS, I'm not sure how many genuine members are. I know they've got a lot of people working on. Um, cricket uh, has just started really trying to do its grassroots uh, better service and try to engage in grassroots and get players through. Uh, throughout this whole um, everything I'm saying, understand that the, the role of sports to get girls and women involved in sport has been much better the last few years. Yeah. Is that, you know, cricket's Cricket's done that well, but now COVID's come along, and a lot of these a lot of these roles within you know, state bodies and national bodies are they're having a lot of cutbacks. AFL slashed some jobs this this week. Cricket slashed jobs, so that's a real challenge for that participation. Uh, which brings us to uh, soccer. I mean, those areas in in um, parts of Australia that can't get kids to play all the rules, they can get kids to play soccer. Right. Soccer's participation is phenomenal. Um, soccer's big, uh, or football has, um, that's big task is to try and capitalize on participation and drive those, those kids, um, through to the W League and the A League and, as I said, capitalize on what they've got, which is riches of, of youngsters playing their sport. Um, new Australians and, and, and families that have been in Australia for generations. Uh, rugby league, you'd know more about that than I would, but, I'd say maintaining that team in Melbourne. Uh, think about it this way: How would the NRL be looking if it didn't have Melbourne Storm? Yeah, I, I think it would be worse off because uh, I think the, I think having games in Melbourne for people to attend has been great. Mm. I don't know what the participation numbers are here, but I do know a bit a bit about rugby and the setting up of the Rebels. You know, they don't pack stadiums, but one of my boys plays rugby, uh, which is unusual in in Melbourne. Um, but he goes down there, and I, 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 I suspect that league is the same as rugby in Victoria in that it's supported um, to the nth degree by uh, by New Zealanders, ex New Zealanders, and Pacific Islanders, and people with Pacific Island backgrounds. Right. And and I think that just watching as an observer, and I'm no expert, but um, the way that the NRL and and rugby as well has flourished um, in many ways has been due to uh, Pacific Islanders and uh, mm. you know those players from non-Australian backgrounds basically um, that that would be something that um, the AFL would be really envious of and I think they do it really well I, I don't know what you think uh, Big T about that but that's something that's um, that's a that's something that jumps out at me I and mean, when my, my son turns up in our local uh, a largely white bread suburb turns up and is joined by Fijian families, Samoans, mm. uh, just some South Africans, a lot of Kiwis. You know, it's just a great mix. I think that's where that's where rugby and rugby league, um, you know, that's something that they can really hang their hats on in Victoria, at least. Well, and like I said, that's just a, an observation from someone that doesn't know all of the numbers. Well, you, you'll be unsurprised to know that, that uh, if you include Indigenous Australians and Pacific Islanders in the same 
um, category, they are more than 50% of what makes up the NRL at the moment. So yeah. you can see that yeah. trickle. That only comes because it, it comes all the way down from from grassroots. So I would suggest as well that Rugby League, and, and this might be because I live in Sydney, but Rugby League is in the best position it's been in a long time because AFL can't grow globally. Union is shriveling from a national perspective at the moment and cricket is facing its own identity crisis with it still wanting to do incredible things like test matches but the the 2020 was going really well with Big Bash but it also has just dropped off and it's and it's having an identity crisis. A-League is still very peripheral although it has all of those kids in terms of a national stage. I know it's playing at the moment but I as a person who follows sport have no idea which part of the season it's up to. Yeah. So how does rugby league capitalise on its on its growth and in its ability to take in multicultural, particularly Pacific and Indigenous communities, and still be a large um, part of the and a cultural phenomenon in Australia? How do, how do they capitalise on all of that in this period well, of time? Well, I think to be national, I mean, if we're going to stack AFL and NRL against each other, to be national, you've got to have presence in other cities. So yeah. Adelaide or Perth starters. I don't know. That's been tried and it hasn't quite worked. So. But you would suggest that's valuable. That would be one of the biggest, the, the most, the well, next I, step. I don't know. I mean, I, I would probably, in what I've thought over the years, in my comment about looking after your heartlands, you know, that's counterproductive. It's, it's, right. It goes against what I'm, my, my think, thinking. Um, maybe the NRL is needs to put another team in Brisbane, or if you're going to if you're going to expand. But then, uh, why expand? Uh, why not? Uh, why not just do what you're doing now? Well. That's that's another thing. I guess I'm probably undecided on some of it, but well, constantly through the '90s and the 2000s, everyone's talking about expanding, expanding, expanding. Well, COVID hit us, and guess what? All of these all of these sports organisations all of a sudden um, broke. You know, uh, AFL's lucky that it had its deal and it owned the Dockland Stadium down here, which is you know something that's known about here, but probably not widely. Uh, but all of a sudden, you've got Channel Nine's asking the NRL, "What happened to all the money?" Mm. So. You can expand and you can have big ideas. AFL wants to have Port Adelaide matches in China, and I don't know. I think you got to look after your look after your base and heartland and um, and, and your football fans and and grow slowly within. I, I'm I'm not convinced that just starting up new teams is is the way to go. But then again, you know, I just I wrote that book about Melbourne Storm <laughs> and look what. <laughs> Look, look, look what happened. So don't listen, to me. don't listen to me on that because I'd probably say, oh, don't worry about it. Don't do it. Like, Melbourne doesn't want to tell you. You would have missed out on one of the great roller coaster rides, one of the great ultimate success stories of uh, modern Australian sport. So, yeah. Um, and one of the best books, sir. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. In hindsight, a well-written book. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm, we can talk about these things and guess, but... Um, if I was running a sports organisation, I never would. I would be, <laughs> I would be looking after, first and foremost, the people who, who love the game and have got potential to love the game and, and you know, wouldn't be based around, around marketing. It would be based around community engagement and things that matter, you know, things that have got that personal touch. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It's, um, but the other thing that rugby league, I think, the big difference from from my view of all the different football codes is, and this is a thing in America when they had the concussion stuff arise. The big question was, what's going 
going to happen now? Who, where are the mums going to send their son to play play sport? Because all of a sudden they know that concussion causes long term damage. That was the discussion. It hasn't really suffered, hasn't really hurt the NFL <laughs> like mm. I thought that they would. They thought that was the end of the NFL because because of the head injuries and mums wouldn't. That's what the, the discussion was. Mums won't send their kids to play mm. American football. Um, so, they, but I think that's a, that's a discussion around safety, player safety. Um, would you send your your boy or girl to go and play a game where where they might get whacked in the head? Getting getting knocked in the head, or um, more generally, is, you know, the ASL has really stamped down on that. I think they've done well. Um, so that's that, in some way that provides some sort of um, assurance that the players are not going to be pelted in the head. But then again, you know, parents by the time you have this argument, I finish that sentence. Um, parents have decided to send their kid to play soccer. Yeah. <laughs> not going to get in the head anyway. So. Uh, but, you know, that, that's that's a thing, I think. That it's a brutal sport, but then you don't want to make it, um, you know, you don't want to take those collisions away either because that's what makes, part of what makes the sport great. Yeah. And that's that's an excellent thing to end on. I just want to also, it's making me reflect on on watching Melbourne, and that's what this book's done really, really well. I had I I really didn't like Melbourne because of that period of time. They're they're excellent, yep. and play has constantly drawn me back to watch them. But but I've I've enjoyed. You're from Sydney. Yeah. No. 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 <laughs> it's not. Uh, but uh, but reading the book and and reading about their excellence and things like that, and and only really. Um, I, I've kind of ignored that period because of because of its cheatiness of yep. it. But yep. but reading the books made a reflect on it. And I've gone back and watched a whole bunch of old games, um, which I'm sure you did too in in research of, and it was phenomenal. And so I'm glad you've reminded me about the big shots because watching Greg Inglis as a five eight um, for Melbourne, running off Cronk, running off um, Hoffman, hitting holes. It's a fantastic period of football. Um, and so yeah. thank you so much for writing the book so that I got to um, re see all of that. Go back, yeah. Yeah, no, thanks. I made the bolt out of a blue to even get a call and say that I've read, read the book because it was a while ago now. You know, a lot of people didn't read it. I, I don't know whether this was a, uh, a ploy or not, but Craig Bellamy brought out his own book basically the same week that I brought mine. <laughs> so, oh. you know, a lot of people would have just read Craig Bellamy's book and uh, not known about mine. It didn't get a big play, in, as I said, in, uh, locally in the Herald Sun anyway. So, uh, but, you know, those are, those are things that... Over my head, I don't really know what was happening there, but um, yes, he, he was asked about it on one of the footy shows, maybe on 360, and just said he didn't really know much about it. So. <laughs> well, it was brought up, but, so that would have made it. Cooper Cronk. Cooper Cronk, I hardly ever spoken about Cronk. I reckon at, at their best, when Melbourne Storm was at their best, Cronk was a Cronk was a better and more important player than Cameron Smith. No, I agree with you. And I, I had been told to um, shut the hell up and never say that again. People oh. who love Smith, but um, but I think Cronk, you know, uh, the way he was so precise with everything he did, I, I thought uh, Cronk there for a while was the most important player. And, uh, and when you move so him, anyway. when you move him to the Roosters, who have an excellent system and excellent coach. Um, and other possible salary cap <laughs> breaches that haven't yet been discovered. The, um, <laughs> yeah, that's right. They he, they win two premierships in a row with Cronk. So you know, yeah. there's a lot of evidence to suggest that you might be on the money there, PK. Which is exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. why you're invited on, sir, because of your huge sports brain. Um, I've thoroughly enjoyed this, mate. That's that's all the comments and questions that I have. Did you have anything else you wanted to say before we go? 
No, just thanks for um, thanks for the yak. Yeah, don't forget to talk at length about Rugby League. So that's good. Anytime, PK. You got my phone number now, Chairman. You ever want to talk about it because no one in Melbourne will? You can always call Big T. <laughs> no worries. Thanks, Big T. Yeah, appreciate it, mate. And my, my dad, by the way, where, where, where we started this yeah. chat, my dad, the Belmore boy, he's looking forward to listening to this podcast um, <laughs> edition. So, well, thank you to Mick. And, and, and thank, thanks to my dad, Mick, for uh, putting me under Luke. Yes, thank you, Mick. And also, uh, the, this hasn't been a great year for you on field as well, Mick, with the Bulldogs, so I'm glad that we gave you something to, uh, to smile about. <laughs> Um, during this year. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Also, everyone should get around that incredible book, Storm Clouds. Rugby League fan from anywhere in the world. It is an incredible insight into how those clubs work when they're successful and then what happens when they need to rebuild Storm Clouds. I found it on Apple Books. I'm sure you can find it in lots of different places. Thanks, PK. All right. Thanks, mate.